0: Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. I'm Pastor Bucky. Welcome, especially if you're here for the first time. We're glad to have you. Uh, We are Watermark Church, and we're excited about the series that we're in, Uh, Love, Sex, God. Wow. What a subject to come to the church for the first time. The church is talking about sex. Oh my gosh, what's going on, huh? And you know what? Sadly to say, people are surprised many times when they come into church and they're talking about sex, because many times the church has created sex as taboo. It's not something we really want to deal with, unspiritual, Uh, sort of something that... uh, We we slide to the side, and, and we don't deal with it. We don't talk about it. And as a result, the culture is talking about sex all the time. The culture is bombarding us with messages and images through advertising and the media and popular icons and telling us what human sexuality is and what it's all about. And sadly to say, because the church has been not talking about this. We have a whole generation of folks in the church that have grown up without the biblical worldview on human sexuality. As a matter of fact, all they hear from the church many times is a reactive approach, don't, 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 bad, bad, bad. And so there's a lot of shame, a lot of judgment, a lot of feelings of guilt around this issue of human sexuality that's very confusing for our young people, especially as they go through Puberty, times of sexual change, their hormones are going off and they, they don't know what to do. We need to have a God conversation about this subject. That's the vision of our church to be generational, to pass God's truth and his love from one generation to the next, to be conversational, not to, not to just sit here and judge people and push our ideas down, but to have a God conversation about what the Bible actually says about the truth of human sexuality. And not just to be reactive, but to be proactive, because the Bible says a lot about sex. It has this beautiful vision of sexual love. And so we don't just want a piecemeal approach. We want to give you the whole counsel, a beautiful perspective of what God thought of when he created mankind and gave us the gift of human sexuality. And so we've asked you guys to think about it. If you have questions, you can email those questions uh, watermarkoc.org, our website, backslash questions, and you can email your questions. We'd love to answer them as we go through this series and address some of the things that are on your heart. Uh, one of the questions we got last week was, what does the Bible say about same-sex attraction? What is Watermark's church on homosexuality? That is a great question, it is a hot topic in our culture, it's being widely debated in political circles, social circles, it's talked about all the time. It is a, a big conversation for the young folks that are growing up in our church, and we want to talk about that in an authentic, loving manner. We want to let the Bible and God's story speak for itself and let wisdom uh, give us an understanding for how we are to move forward with that. I'm not going to answer that question today because in the next few weeks I'm talking about God's design for marriage, and that's going to be a great place to put that topic in. But what I would say, if you have a loved one that's struggling with same-sex attraction, if you're wrestling that, with that yourself, you are welcome here to Watermark Church. Sec, you know, Homosexuality is not some special issue that you're not welcome at the door because you have these issues, these desires, and you're struggling with them. We are all fellow strugglers on this journey to understand human sexuality. Whether we're heterosexual, whether we're homosexual, we've all been affected by this topic, and there's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. And we want to be a place of healing community and redemptive love. And so you're welcome here. You're welcome to be safe, to ask your questions. Many times the church has come across as judgmental towards the homosexual community, and forgive me as a pastor for representing that to any member of the homosexual community because I want to have a dialogue that's loving and authentic. I want to be respectful even if we agree to disagree on the issues and the outcomes. We still want to do this in a gracious and Christ-like way and we still want to point people to Jesus. And the last time I remember this is the club for sinners. It's not a hotel for perfect saints. This is a club for sinners. And we are invited to this table and to follow Christ and His redemptive love. And we're all dealing with desires that we're trying to submit to God and the Holy Spirit and be sanctified in the love of Christ. And that journey is open to everyone. And so you are welcome and invited to the conversation, to the struggle, and to the desire to ultimately follow Christ. And let's look at this opening statement the book, Song of Songs, that's what we're in, that's what we're using as our text, and we're jumping off of this. Last week, we talked about in our opening statement that, you know, the Bible opens with a bold statement about human sexuality and love, and the Song of Songs is celebrating that. There's not an introduction to this book but we go right into a bold statement. Physical attraction and sexuality is Good. Right in, in this in this love poem that's three thousand years old, we have three characters: he, she, and their friends. And she opens up, which again is unique in the ancient world. She's creating the dialogue. Men were the ones that usually created the dialogue, but she is creating the dialogue, and she is saying, "Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth." Boom! Right there. For your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. That's what my wife says to me all the time. No wonder the women love you. Yeah, I wish. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. See, the book opens with this amazing statement that sexual attraction, physical desires have been given to us by God. They are good, right? Last week, we went back to the creation account. If you didn't listen to it, you can jump on our podcast and get the full tape. But I just want to summarize a little bit what we said last week. The book of Genesis says that we were created as mankind not to be angels. Angels are beings that we learn about in the scriptures, and they are supernatural beings, right? They have a spiritual consciousness, but they don't have a body. They don't have a human body. And so we weren't created to be angels, but we are also not created to be animals, when you look at Genesis 1, it says God creates every living thing, all the animals, and then there's a pause, and he says, and then he creates mankind uniquely in his image. So the opening account of the Bible is that we're not created to be angels. We're not just spiritual beatings without bodies. We have been given bodies that have drives and desires, but we're not animals. We're not to be controlled and driven by our desires like animals are. We're different. We're a unique part of creation in that we are both spiritual, we have a spiritual consciousness, we have a soul, and we have a body. We have both a body and a soul that comes together and uniquely in that we bear the image of God. We are image bearers. And the first commandment is to mankind in bearing that image is to rule, subdue the earth. And to multiply, right? It is good. Go at it. Be fruitful and multiply. Sex is good. Sex is a gift from God to mankind. And we were created to be fruitful and multiply. We bear his image in the way that we produce, reproduce, in the way that we come together in the sexual acts. And that sexual act is placed in this beautiful covenant commitment. In Genesis chapter 2, the two shall become one flesh. Sexuality for mankind is expressed in the commitment of covenant love, of marriage between a man and a woman for life. This is the beauty of the creation account. The first commandment of the Bible is be fruitful and multiply. And so what the Bible says is the body is good, sexual attraction and desire is good, but for mankind, sex is more than just animal desires, right? It's more than just a body thing. It's just more than just a fulfillment of, of release and, and, and sexual ecstasy. It is more than that because you're more than a body. You're a body and a soul. You're complex. You have a spiritual awareness. You're deeper than just the body. And so sex is more than a body. And attraction goes deeper than the skin. Look at her opening comments about this man. She says, yes, let him kiss me, right? I'm, I'm in love. I'm in love. Is it, I'm in love with the size of you. Is that what it is? Ed Sheeran, I'm in love. Am I doing it right? I'm in love with the size of you. She says, I'm, is it shape or size? Shape. I never get it right. I'm in love with it. I try to sing this to my wife, and I always get the word wrong. Doggone it. I'm in love with the shape of you. See, I try to sell her that. But she says more than that. I'm not just in love with the shape of your body, I'm in love with the shape of your soul. Because she says, your love is intoxicating, and your lovemaking is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name, not just your body, your name, most people think this is Solomon, your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women are attracted to you, because you're more than a body. You're a body and a soul. You're a man who has a name. What does she mean by that? She says, I'm turned on by your name, not just your body, because she's a human being. And sex is more than the body. It's deeper than that. It's about the soul. And there's things about people that attract us that are different than animal sex, is that we're attracted to the inner quality of a person and their character. She is saying you're more than a body. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women are attracted to you. See, in the ancient world, when you said name, you meant more than just what you were called. It's not Solomon, Solomon. Oh, I'm so in love with the name Solomon. No, no, no. What's... It's what Solomon's name represents, it's his character, it's who he is. It's not just what he's called, but who he is as a person. His inside, his character, his formation, his heart. She's in love with that part of him. Your character is good and pleasing, like perfume. This guy is pleasing, he's gentle, he's kind, he's good, he's loving, He's more than just a body. He's a man with a soul. He's a good man. She's praising his character. That's part of the attraction. The key to success. You want to coach your kids? You got young kids, and they're going into a dating world, right? I had to coach my girls all through high school in sexuality and dating, right? You want to coach your kids well, Catherine and I. This is this was a key. And so, young moms and dads, grandparents, if you want to pray for your kids. Uh, you know, singles, if you want to think about what is the key to successful dra- dating, it is to date someone long enough to know their name, right? It's a little more than hooking up for the night, right? It's to date somebody long enough to know their name, who they truly are, right? Right? That's If you want a successful relationship, if you want to have something that lasts, something that's substantive, something that feels more than just your urges and drives, you will date somebody and you will look at their soul, not just their body. This is what the wisdom of God's word would say about what it means to be fully attracted and fully in love. Character is something that is etched into the inside of our being. That word in the Hebrew is to, to etch something in stone. And so when you're dating someone, a young man or a young woman, you want to observe them, not just when everything's great. well, everything, what happens when they have a bad day? How do they talk to you when they're angry? What happens if you disappoint them? How do they react out of that disappointment? How do they treat your friends? What do they think of your parents We always had young men come and spend time with us before they dated their daughter so we could see how they treated us as parents, were they respectful, were they kind, were they loving. Dating is more than just finding out about a body. Dating is about discovering what the soul of a human being is all about because you were wired that way. And if you want to have a successful relationship, if you want to have something that goes beyond just a body, you'll say no to the body and yes to the soul. Right? So many couples in premarital counseling come to me many times and they've jumped into sex and they're having sex and they think they're wonderfully in love and they're in this romantic phase because having sex is giving them some kind of a chemistry and they can't truly see the fundamental aspects that their personalities, that their, their habits are so conflicted. And they would make a total wrong choice by getting married just because sex is good. Because they have never spend the time to stop that and get to know the character of the person. That's why God says, hold that until you make the covenant. Right? That's God's wisdom. Because we're not just animals. We were made for more. And so how do we look at what's deeper? His name turns her on. Why is that so important? Because she struggles with insecurity. And many times you don't learn that about a person on their Facebook page, right? Many times you don't see that when you're first dating because we want to put our our best foot forward. We want to show that we got the right clothes, we drive the right car, and we got it going on, right? But guess what? Everybody that I've talked to that's trying to get in a significant relationship has insecurities, has frailties, has brokenness. Whether it's their family of origin, whether it's their insecurities about their body or about who they are or what they do, there's huge insecurities that they bring into this relationship. And those insecurities are very difficult in the area of human sexuality at times. And she says this, she's honest with her friends, the daughters of Jerusalem. Dark am I, yet lovely daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of Kadar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I'm dark, because I'm darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me. My mother's sons, where's the father? My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. And I had to neglect my own vineyard, my own body. She is insecure about her skin. Why? Because in the ancient world, I know this has surprised you. Everybody wants to run to the beach in California. We want a bronze body, Right? We want to have that beautiful tan like Joe Hill, the tan man. We want to have that and sport it out and walk around, right? But in the ancient world, guess what? The less dark in your skin was, that was beauty, right? The softer and less exposed to the sun your skin was, that was attractive in that culture because it made a statement, a social statement, not a racial statement. She's not talking about her race. She's talking about that her t- the texture of her skin is scorched And it's leathery. It's darkened by the sun because she had to go work in the vineyards because she was raised in a broken family. Right? And her brothers rule over her in an unhealthy way. Way to go, guys. And they sent her out to do the dirty work in the vineyard, right? They used her to work in the vineyard and she didn't have protection. And so she's scorched and she's beautiful, but she feels less than because her skin is brown. And that means she's a day laborer, she's a commoner, and so she's dating this King Solomon that is rich and attracted to him, and he's a man of this status, and she's down here, and she feels insecure, unacceptable. Guess what? In most dating relationships, people feel insecure and unacceptable, regardless of what they present to you. And we have this incredible opportunity like Solomon did. Am I going to take advantage of that insecurity? Am I going to use that to woo her body, right? Or am I going to provide a place of blessing in that insecurity? You know, I first started dating Kathleen when I was in high school. I was 16 years old, 17 years old. I was a young guy, you know. I I, I thought she was beautiful, but there was a a girl in, in in the high school that was very, very popular, and she liked me too. And so I said, I'm in love with the size of her, right? And so I started dating her, right? Yeah, I, gotta, I, I still hear the story. I still shame on the story. So I started dating her because she was the popular one. Kathleen's beautiful blonde, she was, but she was popular and whatever. And I chose her for the wrong reason. And after about three dates, she dropped me like a hot potato and went on to another guy. Well, that whole thing allowed me to see Kathleen in a different light, and we became best friends. Over a period of six months to a year, because she had another boyfriend, we were in class together, and we became best friends. And all that body stuff was out of the way, and I got to see her soul. I got to see who she truly was. And Kathleen, in our dating relationship, she revealed to me that she was insecure, Because guess what? Her daddy left her when she was four years old. She was abandoned. She lived in a very abusive family, and she was broken, and she let me see that insecurity, and here I am, this guy, this athlete, this guy of all this stuff, and what I could have done in that intimacy was take advantage of that, and I could have had a body. And I could have used her for sex. I could have thrown her away and gone on to the next one. And all that would have done would confirm to her that you are worthy of abandonment and abuse. You are worthless and nothing. Do You see the power of human sexuality? The power of what a man could do to a woman that's vulnerable? If he doesn't understand this gift of sexuality and he uses her body and thinks it's just about a body and throws her away... The damage that's done over and over again in our culture. And fortunately, because of Jesus Christ and His grace, I didn't do that. And I bonded with Kathleen and we got married, and we've been 37 years of a covenant love. And instead of <laughs> and instead of damaging her soul, our sexuality and our covenant love has helped to redeem and restore what her insecurities were stolen from her and her family of origin. That's the power of human sexuality. It is like electricity. You know, in this building, electricity allows you to see the screen, the lights are on, there's air conditioning. It is a life-giving thing. But guess what? It's also in a productive conduit, right? If, if those wires were open and exposed, we would have fires. People would touch that electricity and get electrified and get hurt. But the reason that electricity gives life is because it's in a conduit and a channel that brings it into a healthy place, right? That's God's design for sexuality. Sex is so electrifying, it's either going to harm you or it's going to be healthy for you. And where is it healthy for you? In the conduit of covenant committed love. That's what it was designed for. You take it out of that, it's so powerful, you're going to destroy and hurt people's souls with it. You're going to do damage to your own inside. It's not just about a body. It's about a soul. And Solomon has this vulnerable woman. And guess what? He doesn't take advantage of her. He courts her and woos her. And this is what she says about him. This is how attractive. It's his name. It's his character. His name brings blessing and security. He's a man of character. He understands God's plan. And she says, my beloved to me is like a sachet of myrrh. Resting between my two breasts. Now, again, in the ancient world, uh, we didn't have CVS, we didn't have a, a beautiful department store, so women couldn't bo- go and buy perfume readily, right? So they would take resin and put it in a bag and they, they'd put that around their neck. And then when things got hot in, their, in terms of their body odor, that would heat up the resin and it would elicit this beautiful smell of perfume. And so he is like a sachet around my breast. He brings out the best in me. When I'm with him, he draws out the best in me. He's not negative, controlling, judgmental, angry. He's drawing out who I am as a person, the best of who I am. Again, she says, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade. What a beautiful image, right? On a hot day in California, what are you looking for, right? You're looking for that shade. She says, my beloved provides a shade. Where's her insecurity? Her skin, right? The sun has scorched my skin. I'm insecure, but when I'm with you, you provide shade. You don't scorch me. You're a shade for me. You allow my insecurities to be known, and you accept me for who I am. It's a great place of vulnerability, safety, and security. Because he's a man of character. He's more than a body, he's a soul, and he's leading with his character, and he's bonding with this woman before he jumps in the bedroom. This is the way God designed human sexuality. This is the way God designed us to come together in covenant go. This is life bringing. You know, the, the, the sexual ethic of the world is consensual. Have sex whenever, whatever, whoever. As long as it's consensual and safe, have at it because you're just animals. You know, it would be wrong to want you to fulfill your desires in a relationship of covenant love. It's consensual. That's what the, that's what the world says. That's what science just says without spirituality. But the Bible has a whole different beautiful story. Love is not consensual. It's covenantal. It's, it's given to us in a, in, a, in a covenant relationship of commitment, and then out of that commitment, is it is a celebration. And because of that, there is greater depth of understanding, intimacy, and healing. He brings out the best to me. In the places I feel ugly, He makes me feel accepted and welcomed and loved. I am safe and secure in His love. What does it mean to be the person that is cultivating the character that would be said of you as a man, ah, his name is like perfume. Or be said to you as a woman, her name is like perfume to me. I'm intoxicated by who she is more than her body, but also her soul, right? What would it mean to be say she's like shade, she's a shelter to me. He's, he's like a shade structure in the storm. I feel safe and secure and welcomed by his love. What is, how do we cultivate that character in our, in our preparation, and our dating? How do we cultivate that character in a marriage, right? Some of us have gotten married and we didn't have long enough really to understand a person's name, but now we're married to this person and there's struggles and there's difficulty and hardship. But God wants to redeem your name. How do you do that in a marriage relationship where you're struggling and wrestling? I want to go to a passage in the New Testament. We'll end with this. But what the New Testament tells us, and this is the book of Ephesians, That God came and sent his son to restore our image. Our image was broken in the fall. We walked away from God and our image broken. And he sent his son Jesus to die for us to restore that image of God in us to its rightful place. And now as image bearers in Christ, we have the ability to submit our desires, we're not just animals, to something that's higher inside of us. And the Bible calls that this intimate relationship we now have with God through the Holy Spirit. And so now now we bear His image by submitting ourselves to Him and letting His Spirit move in and through us in all the places we go where we live, work, and play in our relationships. And the book of Ephesians is celebrating that and giving this general principle. The disciples of Jesus are cultivating this character, right, that is safe, that is loving, that is a blessing, And the Bible says that is a regular practice of a disciple, right? To look at other people and to place their well-being above our own, right? A disciple of Christ, like Solomon, he came to that relationship and he placed the well-being of this woman, her insecurities, her need to be loved unconditionally above his own sexual desires. He had them, but he submitted them to a bigger plan and a bigger story, That's what it means to bear the image of God. It doesn't mean you deny that you have sexual desires or that you're a man or a woman. It means you learn to submit those to a higher calling. Instead of following your own desires, Ephesians says, instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. Sing and make music from your hearts to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is giving the evidences of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It changes the way we speak to one another in our posture. Our words are about more about them than it is about us. It changes the way that we, we worship God, we're thankful, we honor Him. It's more about Him than it is about us. And it changes the way that we deal with people in relationships. We have this posture of submission. It says... The regular practice of a disciple who's being formed in the image of Christ is to be submissive to one another, to place their well-being above that of our own desires even, right? And so the evidence of the Spirit's filling is the fact that a disciple will be submissive. The word submission... It's been misunderstood in the Bible many times. When you talk to many people, when it says submission, the woman always says, Oh, you want me to be a doormat and a slave, right? That is a total misapplication of what Paul's talking about. (laughs) Paul's not talking about being a slave, being beaten down, abused, and abandoned. And many times this verse has been used to really abuse women. And that is not what Paul is talking about here. This word submission means to organize something in an orderly fashion, something under something else. It is used in military battle. As we organize our system of defenses, captains, we organize in an orderly fashion one thing under another, right? The chain of command, right? It's used in a a household, to organize a household, the way a household is organized, to organize something in an orderly fashion under something else, right? As a matter of fact, we all submitted when we came to Watermark today. We all did. So everybody submits, right? When you come in your car, everybody probably drove a car. And if you're like me, you wish you had a magic wand, and every red light you came to, you could go green, 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 because that's my desire. I want to get where I need to go as fast as I can. If I had a wand, does anybody want a green wand? You come to every streetlight and go green, green, and go right through. But I can't do that when I come to Watermark, right? And so when the red light comes on, I put my foot on the brake. I willingly submit my desire to the traffic laws of California in an orderly passion under that for the common good of everybody. So people don't k- kill, I don't kill somebody in the intersection, right? That is the idea of submission. It is between two equals. It's not an equal and a superior. It's two equal people that have been redeemed by Christ in the community that willingly submit themselves and put the other's interests above their own. That is the character That is cultivated in a Christ follower, and that's why someone would say, I love to sit in their shade. I love to hang out with them. I love their name, because their name is about blessing. They're the kind of person that comes to serve and to love. This is the general principle for a disciple of Christ. And guess what Paul does? Paul applies that to marriage. And as he does, he says, women, submit to your husbands, right? It's right out of the flow. It's not a separate thing just reserved for wives. It is the general practice of all disciples. We are all to practice mutual submission. Wives, do this for your husbands in marriage. That's the application. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. Why? I like that. That means I'm the master and commander, right? That means I'm in control. That means I get to make all the decisions. That means I have this and I punch this and my wife says, yes, yes, yes. Is that what that means? No, 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 no. That means something totally revolutionary. Submit to your husbands because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ. Uh Uh-oh, as Christ is the head of the church, that's a whole different understanding of headship and submission that we need to understand as mankind and as men, right, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. In Rome, this was assumed. All women were submissive. It was the way that the culture worked. The only thing a husband owed a woman in, in first century Rome when this was written is a roof over their head for a couple of meals a week and the, the ability to bear him children. That's all Roman law required of a husband. Give her a roof, give her some meals, and let her have some babies for you. That was all that was required in Roman culture. Mistresses, they were assumed. Affairs, they were assumed. That's what the culture blessed. Uh, Handwives, they were for service. Wives were just to bear children. So this is not a revolutionary statement to women, and the they would not be offended by this. Yeah, sure. I've heard this a thousand times from my husband, right? But what is revolutionary is the call to the men. The call to the men is three times as much instruction. The call to men is headship, not compared to master and commander, but compared to Jesus. That is a statement of revolutionary love, because this is what it says to the men. It is a radical call of submission love. Nobody in the first century would say, husbands, love your wife. No one would have said it. No one would have written it. You know, this is why women flock to Jesus, and men resisted him. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word. And to present her himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. But holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves himself after all. No one has ever hated their own body, but they fed and they care for their body just as Christ does for the church, for we are members of his body. This is the radical call. Men, we want to be the kind of men that our our wives say, hey, I delight to sit in his shade. He has a name that is pleasing and fragrant. If you want to date a woman uh, that is going to delight in you and that wants to be connected to you at the soul level, this is the regular posture of a disciple, to cultivate an attitude of submissive love And this is the call, the call of sacrificial love. And in marriage then, when we do this together, when we actually take human sexuality and put it where it was created to be, and we actually practice submission, what we do is we become a love poem. We tell the world the beautiful story of God's redemptive love. Because for this reason, Genesis 1, 2, we talked about this last week. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united, covenant, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in his church. You see, men and women, we were made for a bigger story, to tell a bigger story. In our marriage, in our covenantal love, in our sexual union, we're telling the story of the gospel to our children we're going to a world of insecurity and fear and judgment for, and body shaming. Look at what happens on the internet. Feeling less than, feeling controlled by having to give their body without any commitment. And we tell a different story when we embody the gospel and we live in covenantal love. We share that God is gracious and merciful and loving and he is with us both now and forevermore. That's the gospel. That's what marriage does in covenantal love. It shares the love poem of God. Sex is for building community and experiencing the love of God, the unconditional, everlasting love of God. It's not for individual pleasure alone. The world says sex is for individual pleasure. It's just for you. You're just a body. The Bible says sex is for building community and sex is for experiencing God at a most, one of the most intimate levels you can. That's the beauty and wonder of sex. And we want to tell that story to our kids, to our families, to singles, that it's worth holding out for a person of character. It's worth waiting for my body and having covenant love because that's where redemption and healing happens. We experience the mystery of God's oneness through Christ's sacrificial love. We're invited today to think about that where are you at on this journey with Jesus where are you at in your pain and your struggle you know many of us have shame in this area we feel broken we feel lessened maybe there's been a divorce an abusive situation we feel unlovable and unacceptable and yet at this table Jesus says I want you to come and receive my covenantal commitment to you this is my body which is given for you this is my blood which was shed for the forgiveness of sins. You are welcome. This is a community of welcoming covenant love. And in that covenant love, Jesus wants to heal you. He wants to restore you. He wants to teach you what it's like to submit your desires to him and be full of his love and share that in healthy relationships. There is great hope and redemption for those of us who have been hurt. And there is great a great path to healing and love through the grace and mercy of Jesus. That's why he's calling you to the table. Let's bow our heads before him and let's bring him all that we are this morning. Thank you, Father, for this beautiful understanding that you're a lover. You created us to love one another and we thank you for the gift of sexuality and teach us how to use it well and to experience a healthy life in you. But Lord, show us how we might submit our desires ultimately to you and and allow you to heal us in your grace. Lord, help us to know how to have forgiveness and grace and love and commitment inside of us to, be, to etch your character inside of us so that it would be said of each one of us, I delight to sit in his and her shade. His name or her name is wonderful and that only is because your name is wonderful, Jesus. And so we accept your body and blood We receive your grace and your forgiveness. Continue to heal us and help us to live out the gospel in healthy relationships in your body. And so heal your church today and bless us. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Come and take communion and worship with us as we end our service together. We have four stations. Grab a piece of bread, dip it in the cup. If you want to pray on the side, many people are praying and just worshiping. This time is yours to be with the Lord. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, Or interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.